Um, how are you guys feeling today? Everybody's feeling good. I want you guys to just turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. I want you guys to open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians. And we're going to be looking at chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five, and we're going to be starting from verse 11 all the way to verse 21. And uh, I'll start us off with the first verse. You guys can read the following. We'll go back and forth. Okay. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And he died for all that those who might no longer live, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who is there for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is, in Christ, God was recon- in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Today, I want to talk to you guys about the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. You know, this is a ministry that sums up what the gospel message is. And that word reconciliation, simply put, simply defined, can mean the restoration of a broken relationship. And when you look at our relationship, man's relationship with God, we have to come to terms that it was broken. And when there was original sin through Adam and through Eve, a very intimate, beautiful, incredible relationship was severed at that very moment. And God indeed made a way for us to be reconciled back to him. See, the gospel message is about restoring broken relationships. God desires to mend, to restore, to put back what's wrong into what needs to be right. See, God was always designed for us to be a relational people. And the gospel was always designed to mend and heal relationships. And the first relationship that we need to understand that God is reconciled, the first and foremost is our own relationship with God. 
It's been reconciled. I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 11. And we'll start again. I'll read the first verse, and you guys can read the following. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You have received reconciliation through the blood of Jesus Christ. A relationship that was once very much broken is now restored. But that restoration can come in one way only, and that is through faith in what Jesus has done for us. You know, this is simply put the gospel message, and it's something that a lot of us are familiar in listening to. But I'm wondering if we're strong in walking out. When we have reconciliation with God, we now obtain peace. See, those who don't know who God is, who haven't been reconciled to God, who is the Lord of peace, there is an unrest that's in their heart. We can't enter in true, full rest until we understand what God has done for us, until we understand that we've been reconciled towards him. I don't know about you, but when I have beef with somebody, I get un- there's unrest. When I get into a fight with somebody, I'm not at peace. I'm not at ease. I'm not, you know, just hanging out. There's a stirring that happens in my heart. You know, often when Pastor Christian and myself, when we are about to preach, if we start to get into a fight, we have to deal with it before someone preaches. Because we can't handle that kind of nonsense in our hearts when we need to deliver God's word. And often the devil always tries to attack right before someone needs to preach. So there's strategic timing that I think the devil tries to get us. And, you know, all of a sudden something small will be like, why'd you say that? (laughs) And why'd you do that? You know, all all of a sudden you get crazy sensitive and then there's this little, you know, fight and and this altercation and, and the peace is stolen right in that moment. Because that relationship, rather than being reconciled, rather than being restored, is starting to shake. Not that we would ever be separated, but I'm saying the peace that results in understanding that we are one, gets shaken up. I don't know about you, but I'm generally a pretty sensitive person. And relationships affect me tremendously. 
And I think that this is true for whatever personality type that you have, whether you're someone that's an introvert or an extrovert, whether you're someone that gets energized in a large group or whether you're someone that needs to recuperate for two months after a, a, a festivity with, you know, a group of more than three people. You know, whatever your personality is, we were created for relationships. And when there's hindrances in our relationship, the peace that belongs to us is, tempt- is stolen away from us. To be reconciled to God means to obtain peace from him. It's rest. It's rest. This is true rest to know the price that Jesus Christ has paid for our sins. To know that we've been justified by his blood. That's peace. I don't know about you, but when I was struggling in my college years, backsliding from the Lord, when I thought about anything related to God, I didn't have peace. When I walked into church knowing what I did the night before, you know, which was rare because I didn't go to church during that time, but, you know, knowing my weekend and, and knowing the sins that I had fallen into, knowing the patterns that were, you know, taking hold of my life. When I stepped into church, I wasn't feeling peace. There was turmoil within me. There was a turbulence. And there was a fear that I had. God, we're not right right now. This relationship isn't good right now. I know that I've been sinning against you. I knew that I knew that I knew that my actions not have been, it wasn't separating me from God because I'd already given my life to the Lord. But I knew that there was hindrances that were there. It was affecting my relationship with him. Jesus Christ has come to restore peace. Restore peace. Some of you guys in this room, you've been wrestling with God. And when you take a sober look at your relationship with him, you're not feeling peace. You're not feeling rest. In fact, it's unrest that rises up within you. And I'm telling you today, it is not by your works that you obtain peace. Christ first pursued us. And it's in that revelation that God first loved us, that he first paid the price through his son, the death of his son, that we can boldly embrace the peace of God. See, when we think about that word reconciliation, often in terms of two regular people, it indicates that both were at fault. If I have a a little, you know, spiff with my husband, it's not just his fault. There's also going to be a part of it where it's my fault and it's not my fault. There's always going to be a part of it. That's his fault, (laughs) but there's that understanding where we've both said things that we shouldn't have said, or we've both done things that maybe we shouldn't have done. There's a recognizing of the responsibility that we both have that's necessary in order for that reconciliation to happen. But when it comes to our reconciliation with God, we need to understand that God did absolutely no wrong. So that word reconciliation, we have to be very careful. Man was reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. There's not a part where God was saying, oh, my bad. Oh, sorry about that. No, it is us that has fallen away. And it is through God that we've been restored. It's powerful. We have been reconciled with God through Christ. That's peace. I don't know about you, but when, when I had that revelation after, after years of just rebelling, 
of coming back to that place where God was like, you're mine, and I'm yours, and I have forgiven you. And, and I understood that, that that peace that I desired so badly was in my heart. It was incredible. There was nothing like that. I remember even after my first healing and deliverance session, after three hours of just confessing, repenting, renouncing my sins, the cutting off of all of these soul ties and lies and bondages that had taken over my life. I remember the first time praying after that, the first time praying after all of those things have been broken off and understanding relief. I felt relief. I felt rest. It was powerful. And I knew that that experience and that revelation and that understanding is what we need to be walking in continuously. Not only are we reconciled to God, but look at verse 19. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 18, excuse me. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Listen to this. Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us the message of reconciliation. It's not just about receiving it. We now carry the actual ministry of reconciliation. We carry the message of that. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean that you have the ministry of reconciliation? That means that the very separation, the broken relationship that people have all around you that do not know who God is, you carry the ministry to be a part of reconciling and seeing that person who've been separated, who doesn't carry peace, who's at unrest, bringing them back to the Lord. That's powerful. I think in our Christian walks, we often get excited about what God is doing in our own lives. But that's not the ministry that God has entrusted to us. Our own lives is taken care of by God. He says, don't worry about your life. I got you. But the ministry that he entrusted with us is the ministry of the people around us. We spend so much of our prayers. God, do this for me. God, do that for me. God, I need this breakthrough. God, I need that breakthrough. But I think the focus of our prayers need to switch, God, for that person that does not know you yet or this family member that is struggling with this, that we need to understand that the very ministry that we carry is one of intercession. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the message of reconciliation. This is the power of the gospel. It's not that you just received the gospel. It's now God has equipped you and empowered you to be the deliverer of that gospel. When we say you carry the ministry of reconciliation, I am not saying that you're the one that reconciles someone to God. We can't do that. It's not faith in Chisu Choi. It's not faith in Matt Walker. It's not faith in Alan Netrar that leads us to be reconciled to God. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. But what we are carrying is the truth that we carry that message. We are 
the mouthpiece of God. And it's time that we stop being ashamed of the gospel. I remember the first time when God started to turn my life around back, uh, started to turn my life around back to him. Like praying out loud in public places was like, like a no-go. And I remember the first time like coming into this church, you know, I wasn't always the pastor here. I was once a newcomer at this church. And being a newcomer here, I remember staring at just like you guys coming in and being like, oh my gosh, these people are crazy. And being very afraid, but strangely intrigued. <laughs> and being very cautious, but strangely drawn to whatever was going on here. You know, we used to always have these group fellowships after every Sunday, and I didn't go to a single one for a couple of months. And every time everybody would be like, you know, Brian, we would be like, oh, come out to eat dinner. We're going to go eat Sangipasana. I'd be like, no. No, thanks. Got to go. And I'd walk away with just these other two newcomers and we just hang out by ourselves. I was so intimidated by the group. I was so intimidated by everybody here. I was so intimidated by the loud worship and the raising up of hands and all this stuff. And I remember having to see someone pray for me at like McDonald's and being so uncomfortable. (laughs) And I was like, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, you know, you want me to pray for you about that? Yeah, yeah. You can pray for me. Lord, now? (laughs) Right here? No, I meant like, you know, when we're not in front of people, like, you know, by yourself when you're like right now. Okay, yeah, sure. (laughs) Just being so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. You know, understanding that there was a transition and and a journey that I had to be put on where finally God was saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of me. And I'm not saying like, we need to go Shandala Halling, you know, wherever we go and, and, you know, pray and be obnoxious and, and, and be dogmatic or shove the gospel message to other people. I'm not saying that, but I am saying to live a Christian life without limitation, feeling free to express our love for God. We can't be ashamed especially in a world that is becoming more and more offended by the gospel message, we have to be more and more bold. You know, for our students at at the universities, this can be difficult at times. Sometimes you sit in class and the topic of religion might come up in your philosophy course or whatever, and Christianity is the first thing to get hammered down. It's the first thing to get just, like, hated on. And, and the class that you're taking is like, you know, Christianity 101. <laughs> and the professor himself is like, not everything in the Bible is true. You know, like there is, we, we see it day to day. We see people constantly getting offended by people praying, by people reading the Bible. There's certain industries where it's so hostile to Christian believers. Some of you guys are in those kind of industries, whether it's entertainment, even in education, These days, hostility is everywhere, but I'm saying that we cannot deny the mandate that God has given us to be the minister of reconciliation, the messenger of reconciliation. We can't back down. We got to be bold. We can't be, uh, you know, we can't feel bad or, or, or be apologetic about what we believe in. The gospel message is the power of God. 
When we deny or when we limit, when we hide the gospel message, we hide the power of God. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in doing that. And I know for me, I was once scared. I was. I was once nervous. I was once freaked out. I was once cautious about praying in public or, you know, telling my coworker that I'm going to church or whipping out my Bible during lunch break or whatever it may be. I was once apprehensive about those things. But we have to learn that we cannot hold back. This is a powerful thing to understand that you have the ministry of reconciliation. Because what God is trying to show us is that he's inviting us into, into his work. You know, we think maybe God should have just sent angels to release the gospel message. Why men? Why us? He could have opened up heavens. He could have came down in, in, in this vision and dream, which he does sometimes. But the main way that people receive Christ is through another person. It's through hearing from another person the gospel message. Why does God do that? Why not encounter people supernaturally all the time? Why not encounter people via dreams all the time? It's because your story is a powerful story. Because when you proclaim the gospel message, what Jesus has done, you said, he's done it for me. Look what he's done in my life. And me, a simple person, just like you. Me, a sinful person, just like you. Me, a person that has been struggling, just like you, have been able to receive this word. So can you. Charles Spurgeon is an incredible preacher. And he said that God actually laid aside his glory and held back the thunder of his power that he may come to us humbly in reason to deliver his word. He held back. Can you imagine? Whenever people encountered God face-to-face in scripture, you know what they did? They thought they were going to die. They would fall flat on their face and be like, ah! I'm going to die. It was, it was scary. It was so intense, but God held back. He reserved the thunder of his power. Charles Spurgeon says in order to come to us just in the form of a man to share his message. I think that's so incredible. Just like Jesus became the word became flesh. Jesus became a man. So that you and I can receive this gospel message. It's got to be through us. Verse 20 says this, that we are ambassadors for Christ. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm an ambassador. When I was called into full-time ministry, I remember talking to my parents about it. And they weren't really excited. And I think more than excited, it, it wasn't because they weren't happy. It was, I think they were more concerned. They were worried. They wanted to know if I actually thought this through or if I prayed this or was this just on a whim? Was I being zealous? Did I have one amazing time of worship? And it was like, now I want to, you know, serve God. They, they were, they were concerned with me. And, and I remember, you know, just wrestling with that call on my life for myself. God, is this true? Is this, is this really 
what you want me to do. And everything that I, that God began to speak to me, every channel, whether it was through quiet times or through messages or through worship, it was so clear. God was calling me into full-time ministry. And I remember I went over to my aunt's place and my aunt, she knew about the situation and she knew that, you know, this was something I was praying into. And, um, she's not the most insanely spiritual person, uh, but she believes in God and I know that she loves God. And so when I went over to her place, she looks at me and she goes, I had the craziest dream about you. And I was like, Oh, what was the dream? And she was like, I saw your face and it was shining. I was like, Oh, this is a good dream so far. And you looked at me right in the eyes and you said, I am an ambassador for Christ. And that was the end of the dream. I was like, that's intense. I am an ambassador for Christ. And it's not just me. You are an ambassador for Christ. What does that mean to be an ambassador for Christ? Ambassadors live in a country that's not their own. They live in a foreign place, yet they have to represent the country that they are coming from. We are all foreigners, whether you're a Korean native, whether you're from the Philippines or Togo or Indonesia or wherever you're from, we're all in the same boat here in this church. We're all foreigners here because our real dwelling place is in the kingdom of God. We are the citizens of heaven. In fact, the preface of chapter five, before it talks about our heavenly dwelling, that is where we are called. So here you and I are foreigners on this earth and we're not just foreigners. We are ambassadors. What that means is we carry the word of Christ. If there was a situation, we represent Jesus and we speak on behalf of him to the foreign nation. And this is our calling. All of us, I don't care if you're not called to full-time ministry. Technically, we all are full-time ministers. Whether you're in education, whether you're in entertainment, whether you're in the government, whatever you may be pursuing, you need to get it in you that you have a mandate to work for God. We're servants of God. That's a privilege. That's incredible. And it's not just for the pastors. It's all of us. And as that role, we have to know that we're ambassadors for God. That means that we represent him, his voice. But ambassadors would be useless if they don't speak. It's not about just living in the foreign nation. It's about representing your nation. It's about vocalizing the word of your king. That's who we are. We're ambassadors for Christ. That gospel message needs to be the message that we are quick to share. That we're bold to share. That we are unafraid to share. And I don't think that, our, that the ministry of reconciliation is just limited to our relationship with God. I believe that word means to restore broken relationships, not just between us and God, but within each other. We carry the ministry of reconciliation so that our broken relationships can be restored as well. That's also the gospel message. It never ended with just love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. It continued and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And there's a responsibility and a mandate for you and I to also be a manifestation of that reconciliation with one another. 
And today I'm going to specifically hone in on our relationships with one another in the church. We're not even going to go outside the church. We're going to talk about in the church. Because I don't know if you guys know, but the devil surely likes to attack our relationships in the church. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, not only was their relationship severed from God, but their relationship with one another was impacted as well. And what was once experienced as complete intimacy, all of a sudden they were filled with shame and they were covering themselves, hiding from one another as much as they were hiding from God. And when God called us back to him, he also called us back to the original design for our relationships with one another to experience true intimacy as well. And we have to be carriers of that ministry of reconciliation. And it starts with having your own heart reconciled with those around you. So my question is this, do you have offense? Are you holding any kind of offense against your sister, against your brother? Uh Oh, there's some, some, some stuff, some stuff going on over here. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, if you look at verse 9, it says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. There can't be offense between God's people. The message of the gospel is the message of forgiveness. It's the message of a cancellation of debt. And it's not limited to one relationship. It's limited to all our relationships here in this house of God. We are called to be at peace with one another. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I want to be at peace with you. You know, one thing that's really interesting about the gospel is usually when two people get into a fight and let's say Todd and I, we just, you know, Todd, you know what you did. You know what you did. Todd and I had gotten into a huge fight and he did wrong. And when it's time, (laughs) he's shaking his head. He's obviously in the stage of denial, but that would, we'll work on that. No, but if Todd, let's say Todd did something wrong in this, you know, relationship Obviously, our idea would be that Todd would be the first person to take initiative to reconcile, right? Naturally, if someone did you wrong, your thought would be, okay, when they're ready to fess up, when they're ready to take ownership, when they're ready to take responsibility, then we can work on the reconciliation. If we were at Sydney and and all of a sudden Alex, who I love, did something, I did something terrible to him, I'm pretty sure that, Alex, you're going to wait until I come up to you and say, listen, I'm sorry, Alex, for what I said. That wasn't right. But when you look at the gospel message, it's completely backwards because we were the one that offended God. Yet God, who did nothing wrong, came to us first. 
And in his love and in his faithfulness, he made the first reach to reconciliation with us. That's powerful. That makes no sense. In the world, it makes no sense because you did wrong. You fess up. You own up. You take responsibility, and then we can deal with this mess. And in a lot of ways, as Christians, we still have that mindset. And today, I want to break that mindset off. We are to be followers of Christ. We are to carry the ministry of reconciliation. That ministry of reconciliation is this. God, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, came to us. That's his heart. And no matter what offense you may be carrying towards someone else, no matter what they've done to you, I'm telling you today to be encouraged to take initiative, to be like Christ, to carry that message of reconciliation inside of you and to understand, listen, I don't want to have this beef with you, Brian. I don't, not anymore. And I'm I'm coming to you because I want to extend peace. And it's not required for you to apologize. I'm not coming at you to accuse you. I'm coming at you to love you. Some of us, we forgive people and then we try to reconcile. And the way that we reconcile is we go up to that person. I just want to let you know that you did all these things, but I forgive you. I forgive you. And you wait to see how they respond. And depending on their response is how you're going to proceed in the relationship. Some of you, it's not even that, excuse me. It's, I mean, cause that's okay. It's more, I'm going to wait to forgive you until I see how you respond. I'm going to go up to you and I'm going to offer reconciliation, but it depends on whether you feel sorry or not. But it needs to be, we forgive first. When Christ offered reconciliation, he paid the price first. He laid it all. He paid the cost first and then extended that peace to us. Here's the truth. We're not responsible for how others respond. You're going to try to reconcile with people, and you know what? They're not going to have it, and that's okay. You're not responsible for their response. If they choose not to Join you if they, you know what? I'm done with this relationship. That's okay. You have to be okay with that. We're not responsible for what they're going to say or what they're going to do, but we are responsible for us. We're responsible for our own hearts. We're responsible for the offense that God is saying, drop it, let it go, cover it with love. Not because they deserve it, but because I've covered all of your offenses from that grace, from that passion that we can let go our offense of other people. As a house of God, I love what Pastor Marcus was sharing at all of our leadership retreats. We got a seminar called Keep Your Love On. And for Hillside, we got it only at our, uh, for our active and reserve leaders. But one thing that he was mentioning was most of the fruit of the spirit is relational. In order to be patient, you probably need someone to be patient with. In order to be kind, you need someone to be kind towards. Some of them are, are not, but a lot of those fruit of the spirit are relational things. Even the gifts of the spirit are relational. On one hand, we have the gift of tongues. That's relational towards our relationship with God. But a lot of other ones are to edify and encourage the church. To prophesy is to encourage someone in the house. To prophesy is to encourage maybe even the whole body. These are relational connections. 
We're called to relationship. And if we have offense in our house, it's not right. And in a church that's big, you can get away with it. Because you just don't need to see them. And you can sit over here while they sit over there. And you can sit over there while they can sit over here. But I'm telling you, whether you think you're avoiding it, whether you think it's gone, whether you think it's not going to touch you or affect you, whether you think it's not big, a big deal or not, it will affect your spiritual walk with God when you hold offense towards somebody else. My message is about ministry of reconciliation. And in the first we have to understand that we've been reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. Second, we got to understand that we now carry that message and we have to be bold. We have to be unafraid. We have to be unashamed. Just like Paul says, I'm unashamed of the gospel. We have to carry that kind of lifestyle. But three, we got to understand that that message of reconciliation, the gospel message is not only between us and God, God's heart and his desire is to see that overflow in our relationships with other people. I want you guys to just close your eyes. Last week, Pastor Christian preached the message about being a multicultural church. And he talked about how the walls of hostility, that when Jesus died on the cross, he broke those walls down. And that we are called to manifest that as the church. And there was a call to see a breaking down of the walls in our own hearts towards people that we might have discriminated against, people that we might have judged, people that are different from us, social class, race, culture, whatever it may be, that those walls need to be torn down in our hearts. Because that's what Jesus paid the price for. But in doing that, in order to tear down those walls, you have to also let go of offense. Because a lot of our personal discrimination against others is because we've been hurt. It's because we've been offended by somebody. It's because we've been offended by a culture. Some of you guys have been so offended by Koreans living here. So offended by the way that they do work or so offended by the way that they're open about certain things, so offended by the way they push you in the subway. Some of the Koreans here, you've been offended by foreigners for judging your country all the time, complaining about Korea and nitpicking about things here and there. It's been offensive. Some of you guys have been offended by Americans for constantly being so obsessed with our own country and thinking that we're the best. That's offensive. And that's not true. In order to break a wall down, you got to let go of offense. In order to see reconciliation between brothers and sisters, you got to let go of offense. In order for God to be, for us to be reconciled to God, he let go of offense. And put it on his own son. And I'm going to give you guys a moment to just allow God to search your heart. But I want to say this. It's subtle. For some of you, it's like, oh, no, I've forgiven that person and that big issue. And that, I'm not. 
Some of you, you may immediately think of somebody that you're holding against towards, and it may be a very big, big, big thing. But I want to encourage all of you guys to also think about the small things. The small offenses, the little offenses that add up. Maybe it's a type of person. Maybe it's a specific person. Maybe it's a whole gender. You're offended by men because you've been hurt so much by them. You feel like you can't trust them because they've violated you in the past. Or maybe it's a type of person you're offended by pastors because your experience with pastors are they're controlling, that they don't care. Let's just take a moment, just close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you just begin to highlight any offenses that we've been carrying. Matthew 5.23 says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar. Go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We've been talking a lot about laying down. Scripture says, first go be reconciled with your brother. If there's a, an offense in your heart and you feel led to, to just deal with that offense today, I want you to just stand up. And I want everybody just to keep your eyes closed and just respect.